Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together we can make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Weaving is said to be the oldest craft in the world. This ancient technology led to creating many useful advancements that are still around today. Its collectiveness can be seen throughout ancient myths from all around the world. In Greek mythology, for example, the goddess Athena, a weaver herself, turned Arachne, a beautiful maiden and talented weaver, into a spider out of jealousy and spite. In Egyptology, the goddess Neith created weaving and is said to have created the world simply by weaving it. Perhaps there is some truth to the world being weaved, as textile discoveries help to spread, strengthen, and diversify the craft of weaving even more. A pair of socks from Syria circa 200 to 256 AD were thought to be the earliest form of knitting. However, they proved to be nail-binding. Nail-binding uses one needle, but eventually someone decided to use two needles instead and invented knitting. The first knitted pieces discovered were colorful fragments and intricate socks of white and indigo cotton fibers from Egypt around 1000 to 1400 AD. By the 13th century, knitting made its way to Spain. Trade routes and wool traders spread the craft of knitting even more. By the 14th century, the phrase to knit was finally added to the English dictionary. Paintings of the Virgin Mary knitting prove the popularity and sacredness of the craft at this time. Guilds were formed to train master knitters, only allowing in the elite. By the end of the 1500s, wealth was depicted by the ownership of at least one, if not more, pairs of intricately knit stockings. Even queens like Queen Victoria took up knitting, elevating the status of it even more. The Industrial Revolution, however, caused much of the hand knitting to die when the machines took over. But then came the World Wars, which encouraged people to knit for the soldiers, The Great Depression also brought about a knitting upswing, since knitting your own clothing proved to be less expensive than purchasing it. The 1980s presented a downswing in knitting due to the emergence of new garments with fibers and materials which made knitting seem antiquated. The 21st century, however, with its onset of the digital age, moved to revive knitting. While it's true, the Internet allowed for access to specialty yarns, amazing patterns, and other like-minded knitters, it also has encouraged people to go back to using their hands to make, create, and manipulate things once more. Not to mention, celebrities influenced the resurgence with photos of them knitting on social media, and yarn bombing became a new type of graffiti that spread worldwide. Knitting is derived from the word knot, which makes sense since it's essentially making little knots. This craft involves fibers being manipulated in such a way to create a textile or fabric, and there are over a hundred stitches, allowing for so many different outcomes. By varying the stitch combinations, a knitter can change the elasticity, mechanical strength, and 3D structure of the resulting fabric. This yarn, which by itself can barely stretch, gives rise to a fabric that can be stretched by more than twice its length. Metaphorically speaking, knitting in all its variations can be applied to us humans in a variety of ways. Physicist and knitter Elisabetta Matsumoto, for example, uses the very same mathematical principles applied to how our DNA folds and unfolds to that of defining how knots form. 
her continued research involving a computer to think like a knitter to help predict mechanical properties of fabrics could potentially aid in growing human tissue in the future. The manipulation which occurs with knitting allows one to bring a concept from the mind or heart into physical being. Take the notion of tying a knot around one's finger. This came from the custom of a gentleman tying a knot in their handkerchief to serve as a reminder each time they reached for it of something they should not forget. It's noteworthy to mention that knitting didn't enter our vocabulary until the Renaissance, an age of exploration, which many call a rebirth of European societies. And the Renaissance came after the Black Death, which had a vast economic, social, and religious impact. Much like the Black Death, COVID also had a large number of casualties and a colossal effect, yet it too proved to increase creativity. We experienced an upswing in art, movies, literature, dance, and crafts. In addition, more people opened up to astrology, numerology, palmistry, tarot, and witchcraft. You see, when faced with mortality, we humans are often quick to reprioritize our goals, relationships, jobs, health, and our life overall. We also seek out creativity because it serves as a great buffer against anxiety and fear. And it is through creativity in which our subconscious can guide us more freely, allowing us to align with our true selves. As a result, our limiting beliefs fall away and our life purpose becomes clearer. Perhaps we became too stagnant, and this pandemic was simply a means to propel us forward into another age of exploration, that of self-exploration, another renaissance. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my great pleasure to have James Devine and Katie Rempe on my show. James, who has been on my show before, is a palmist, mystic, and witch. Katie is a magical maker and a talented knitter. Both host a podcast called Knit a Spell. They will talk about how they came together, the synergy of knitting and witchcraft, how numbers, patterns, colors, and intentions play a part, and so much more. Plus, later on the show, they will share a gratitude craft to bring in more gratitude and abundance just in time for the holidays. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities... 
No problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. U-R-A, skinandmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having James Devine and Katie Rempe on my show. James is a palm reader, mystic, and witch. Katie is a magical maker and a talented knitter. Together, these two host the podcast, Knit a Spell. Hey, you both. Thank you for being here today. Hello. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. Awesome to be here. <laughs> and again, right? Again. And again. <laughs> and again. So jealous. <laughs> so, so how did you two come together? The glory of the internet. Oh. Yes. Uh, I was just getting into the metaphysical world, sort of the witchcraft industry, if you will. And you know how on Instagram... After you are searching things for a while, your discovery feed starts to change. Right. So this happened to me, and one of the people that I saw in this feed was James Devine, <laughs> our very own palmist. And I thought, you know, as a knitter, I'm very interested to know what does it mean the way we knit? Everyone knits differently, holds the needles differently. Does that mean something about us? So mm. I was curious, and I thought, you know what? I bet this guy would know. So I, on a whim, just reached out, sent him a DM, as you do. It's not sketchy at all. And I said, hey, I have this idea about knitting and palmistry. What do you think? Yeah, so I get this random DM about... <laughs> I bet you get random DMs all the time. I do. And I'm like, what is this about knitting and palmistry? And it sounded interesting. And this person could live anywhere in the in the United States, in the world, really. And so I read this about, you know considering palm reading and knitting. And it just so happens that like I come home and the two people that I live with, one's on the right of me crocheting and the other's on the left of me knitting. Uh, and it just uh, kind of like hooked me because I thought, hmm, I had never really. No pun intended. It hooked, hooked you. Me, yeah. Yeah. I see what you did there. On the one side. Yeah. Uh -huh. The one that uses a hook. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I thought, oh, I never really thought about looking at their hands while mm. they're doing this this textile craft. And so I was interested in it. And so I replied and we started chatting and then we arranged to meet. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, um, you know, we just totally got hit it off. Mm -hmm. And then we found out, gosh, we're in the same like metro area yes. in Seattle, which is, you know, you really can be anywhere in the yeah, world. Yeah, it can be rare. Which is mm -hmm. kind of mind-blowing. And that... Here I am living with two people who one's a knitter, one's a crocheter, and it was awesome. And so we just were trying to think about what we could do together, what the partnerships would look like. 
And eventually we just kind of narrowed down to a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes, Jim said, you know, all of these things we're talking about would make a really interesting podcast. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know how to do a podcast, so good idea. (laughs) It's all you. That's right. (laughs) And now, a year and a half later, I do know how to do a podcast. (laughs) And very very well. Oh, well, thank you. So I have to ask, since you had asked, well, I wonder what these gestures mean with knitting. Have you discovered that yet? Have you found out? It's a lot more complicated than I thought. That's basically been the, the main thing. And luckily, Jim has his own way of reading palms that is much I think, easier to digest than sort of what's traditionally out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, we haven't done the deep dive yet into knitter's hands. Mm -hmm. But now that we know more about what we would have to look into, it's definitely on our list for the new year. One of the things that we need to understand is uh, how people knit and what's normal for knitting. Right. So I had to learn to knit. And how did that go? Well, <laughs> well, I'm asking you first, and then I'll ask Katie. I can, I can knit. Mm-hmm. I understand the concept. I am not a great knitter. I mean, I'm a wonderful knitter for me. Well, you I, just started. It's right. not, Give it time. It's not my calling. <laughs> um, but I so to understand how to read someone's hand in a thing that they're doing, you have to understand the thing so that you can read the nuances in what they're doing because knitting and crocheting and anything will direct you to hold your hands a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand that in order to then read the variances in how people are gesturing their hand. Right. So it's hard to read someone's hand if you don't understand what someone is doing with their hands outside of what they're what they need to do in order to knit or crochet or do something. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, are there certain though? Are there certain gestures, Katie, which you would do for specific stitches? Some of them, but I can't show them on air. I think no, you probably do not. that in the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you miss one and you're like, oh no. Yeah. The same gesture that you use out in traffic, um, but. <laughs> But there are ways of doing it wrong, essentially. And you could see that in the the outcome of the fabric. Yeah, you can twist stitches or sort of do it wrong. But ultimately, you know, if you're getting the stitch, I'm not one to be like, if you're holding it slightly this way and not this way, whatever you want to do, whatever gets you to the end, as long as it's what you anticipated being. Okay. Well, James, let's talk about your calling. And that is of being a witch. Oh, yes. One, so, <laughs> of, one of my callings. So I'm yes, a pal- one of your callings. Yes, yes, I'm a palm reader, a mystic, and I am a witch. This is true. Yeah. So tell us more about the tradition that you're part of here in Seattle. Right. So the tradition is called Sylvan Tradition. There are several covens or groups um, that practice that tradition in Seattle, and I am the high priest of one of them. And we're on Capitol Hill, and it's a wonderful tradition of witchcraft. We're a uh, um, private closed group, and um, we practice an earth-based, goddess-focused um, tradition, and we look to nature mm-hmm. to um, help us understand the truths of how the world works and the human condition. And um, it's a beautiful um, expression of humanity um, and of um, and of how to um, find gratitude and 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 beauty in the world that's lovely it's a uh, very different from what a lot of people think of when they think of witchcraft or witches of course it gets dark yeah so yeah. people often think of sabrina which mm-hmm. is a really fun tv show um <laughs> but witches certainly don't um worship the devil 
and witchcraft, modern witchcraft in the, the United States is a earth-based spirituality that is really beautiful and um, very powerful in in self-empowerment and female empowerment. Mm-hmm. Which is well needed right now. Yes. So you were practicing palmistry first, is that correct? Yes, so witchcraft? I've been practicing palmistry since I was a teenager. And then I um, was pretty much a more of a, I was raised Catholic, but then I was kind of a new age, like spiritual, not religious, mm-hmm. very flexible type person. And then I met my husband who was um, uh, super witchy. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, that works for me. So yeah. Yeah. How did he express that when you first met? <laughs> he was very goth, very like, <laughs> you know, but he was already involved in a coven. And then I went and I was a little wary of it. I'm uh-huh. like, not sure about these people. But then I started to get to know the expression and the format and the structure of how they practice. And I just loved it. And it was so beautiful. And um, honoring the seasons of the year, um, the uh, two equinoxes, the two solstices, and halfway in between. So the eight sort of points of the year. Mm-hmm. And just really having a and, and and looking at the lunar cycle, really being in touch with the solar cycle and the lunar cycle of the year gets you really connected with nature and noticing things that you don't really notice unless you're doing that all yeah, the time. I bet. And you're living your life more with intention, right? When you're Yes, doing and awareness of, you know, your environment around you. Right. I mean, we, we live in the city on, in, in you know, in the middle of Capitol Hill, Seattle, which is for everyone that isn't in Seattle, in the middle of a the really hustle and bustle, the hip, the hippest <laughs> neighborhood in Seattle, right? Uh-huh. And sure, there's trees and things like that, but it's houses and it's shopping and a cute little neighborhood. And it can be easy when you're in the middle of a city to lose lose sight of when are the when is the squash ripe? What is the season? Right. And so. So the tradition helps to bring you back that's right. to that. That's, that's right. wonderful. That's awesome. Now, Katie, for you, how long have you been knitting? I am not one of those prodigy kids who started when they were two and <laughs> have been knitting ever since. I actually didn't really start in earnest until college when a friend of mine took it up. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you, you're picking up another craft? Okay, well, I, I can't have you one-up me, so I <laughs> guess I'm going to be picking up this craft. Uh-huh. So. It was my spike craft that ended up being my uh, dream passion project. Were you good at it right away? I was at least good enough not to give up. So that was good. Uh Um, But I was very diligent about wanting to learn. So I took classes right off. And if anybody's looking to learn a new skill, especially something like knitting, I highly recommend doing it in person if you can because the support that you get is everything. I bet. Mm-hmm. I bet. Now, it had been in your family, though, too. Is that correct? That's right. My mom did give it a stab at teaching me when I was younger, uh, <laughs> and that went over for a couple of weeks until she couldn't, she didn't know enough to correct what I had done wrong. And so mm-hmm. we'd both look at it and be like, okay, well, I guess you're done. So that was that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like my mother. She just skipped me all together. That's right. So, so tell me, too, now with witchcraft, I'm assuming that James isn't your first witch that you've met, and you've also dabbled in witchcraft, too, as a, as a child. Is that correct? Yeah. So I never really knew what I was doing. I, you know, I would call it like, oh, my book of spells. But even as a kid, I sort of was like, oh, it's a joke. But it wasn't a joke, you know. And so 
growing up through that, it wasn't really until the pandemic that I, much like you said in the beginning, I stopped like everyone and reassessed what am I working towards and Mm -hmm. are these the goals that I really want to reflect back in my life? And I realized, yeah, I'm doing a lot of creative things, but where is the, the meaning and could I input more of this witchy magic energy into it and the box that I was in in my previous job just didn't allow for that kind of growth and so I was like okay I guess this is my invitation to go out on my own and that's when I started my own business to do this magical making full-time that's awesome and it allowed you to step fully into yourself yeah and that's when I met Jim and these things just started to line up very serendipitously as it often does when you take that chance right right? take the leap yep (laughs) so tell me how do the two go together witchcraft and knitting like any hobby any skill anything you devote your time to it becomes energetic even if the thing you made in the end doesn't look great. Let's say you just started knitting and you make a lumpy scarf. You're probably going to have a lot of pride over that lumpy scarf. Even if in two years you could make a much better version, you're probably still going to look at that and be like, that was my first scarf. (laughs) Like it was the best thing I first made. And it just has that energy. So I really think making things by hand infuses that. Mm -hmm. So why not make it extra special by paying attention to the mindset that you're in while you're doing it. Absolutely. How do these go together? We put the craft in witchcraft. Yes. (laughs) It is. Love that. It is the, the, you are putting your energy into something. And um, I like to say that witchcraft is not supernatural. It is not, um, you know, Gandalf the Grey. It is ultra-natural. It's actually coined by my husband, this idea, that we are, manip- we are wielding the power of nature, mm-hmm. of our psychology, of our physicality, and of our mental abilities. And if you are sitting there, ev- everyone who knits or crochets or paints or does any kind of making, and really Knit a Spell is the podcast for anyone who's making, not just for knitters. Mm-hmm. So everyone who does any kind of craft or art has gotten into a meditative or, or a state doing that work. And in, that mom- in those moments, you're in another time zone and you're doing this amazing work and you're just kind of channeling. Mm-hmm. So that's magical. And as you're doing that work, you can be doing that with intention. And that's very, very powerful. You can do something really cool with that. Right. You're in the presence of a connection to a higher, your higher self, to a divine energy, to something like that. And that's what we're really exploring. We're exploring that connection between making and magic. I love that. And then you're essentially bringing, as I said earlier, you're bringing from, you know, your subconscious into something physical. That's right? exactly You're bringing right. it out of your mind and into something that's tangible. Yes, yes. as above, so below. You're right. you're connecting with what's above in your in in the your super ego or in in the divine consciousness, and you're bringing it into manifestation. And you can envision that. You can say, "I've had this idea for this scarf in my mind," and then, ta-da! Here mm-hmm. it is in actual <laughs> manifested. You know. And this has been a long-time tradition, right, in witchcraft, like with Celtic magic. 
Can you explain a little more? So on you that? and you and not just Celtic magic, but all over, all and over. In indigenous. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> and in any indigenous magical or or any kind of tradition anywhere, right? You can have you can do it both ways. You can imagine something in your mind, and then manifest it in reality. You can also do it the other way, where you can do something symbolic in on a piece of paper, draw it on a piece of paper. You can create a sigil. You can, you know, draw it in the sand on the beach, and then imagine it in your mind, and then work to manifest it in in reality. And at the same time, also deconstruct, right? So you could knit something. Absolutely. To move through some anger or emotion that you're trying to remove Mm -hmm. and then what, take it apart? Yes. We've had guests on our podcast before that say, you know, it's not just about making. Unmaking Mm -hmm. um, or destroying has just as much power. So if you're angry about something or you're ready for something to change, you need blocks to be undone. Go ahead and crochet a quick chain out of, you know, um, a color that might correspond with whatever your trouble is. And then just go ahead and pull it apart <laughs> so the energy just pops right out. Uh-huh. And visualizing that happening will make something happen quickly. Yeah. So it's like unknitting a curse. Yeah. Yeah. And crochet works a lot better than knitting because crochet will just pop right out, whereas yeah. knitting will just tighten up. I see. And so we're really like it is beyond knitting. It's any, you know, we're looking at all kinds of making and the right type of making for the situation too. Mm -hmm. But I love it because you're connecting with your conscious self Yeah, through all of it, through all of the crafting and all of the witchcrafting, if you will. That's right. (laughs) Yep. Love it. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a break, but everyone stay tuned for the weekly skinny up next and more love from the hip. On this weekly skinny, I would like to discuss how to wash your face properly. Perhaps the best way to begin would be mentioning the things you should not do. Do not use hot water to wash your face, as this can strip your skin of its natural oils, causing dryness and also contributing to irritation and redness. In addition, do not use cold water on your face, as it doesn't remove dirt effectively and can also increase redness. Do not put your cleanser on dry skin. Make sure to have wet your face first. This helps to prime the skin for the cleanser. Do not use a washcloth to cleanse your face. Washcloths not only harbor bacteria and contain remnants of surfactants from your laundry detergent, but also they are also too harsh on the skin and could lead to irritation and breakouts. Do not rub the skin dry with a towel. This too can cause irritation and redness on the face. The best way to wash your face would be to start with a no-brainer of making sure your hands are clean first. Then use a makeup remover if your cleanser does not double as such. After removing your makeup gently with your skin wet, simply apply your facial cleanser with your fingers. I recommend spreading the cleanser in the four quadrants of the face first, on the forehead, cheeks, and chin. Then rub the cleanser with your fingertips in a circular motion. Once the cleanser has been fully applied in every area and crease, begin to wash it off with lukewarm water and your hands. After the cleanser has been fully removed, then take a clean towel and pat the skin dry. After your skin is dry, this would be the appropriate time to use a toner before hydrating the skin with a serum and moisturizer, followed up by a sunscreen, if done during the morning. It is important to cleanse your skin twice a day, in the morning and also at night before bed. Nighttime is the most important because it is when you tend to have the most bacteria and dirt built up on your skin. Cleansing in the morning 
helps to remove oils and dirt built up during the night from your hair and pillowcase. In addition, I highly recommend cleansing your face after working up a sweat, followed by facial products to replenish the moisture. Remember, when you cleanse your skin, you must also follow up with hydration and or protection. Leaving these extra steps out can contribute to skin dryness, irritation, and overall skin damage. While cleansing your skin may seem insignificant or tedious, it is one small thing you can do which makes a big difference. It has been clinically proven that proper cleansing lends to healthier, clearer, radiant, and more youthful skin. And who doesn't want that? Is your tween starting to experience a change in their skin? Want to get them on an easy at-home routine and have good skin hygiene? Allow Sakura Skin in Mind to help your tween out. This brief, deep cleansing and educational 35-minute facial is just enough to get your tween, ages 10 to 12 years old, started off in the right direction. Sakura Skin in Mind uses the latest in the clinical skincare industry to care for your tween the right way. Sakura Skin in Mind, treating skin out there with an ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskininmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I am having a fascinating discussion with James Devine and Katie Rempe, and I encourage you to check out their wonderful podcast called Knit a Spell. So, Katie, let's dive deeper into knitting. Um, How many different types of stitches do you know? Well, so it's interesting. Uh, this may be a controversial topic. Oh, no. But for me, I believe there's only two stitches in knitting. Okay. So there's the knit and the purl stitch. And if you know how to do those, then every other pattern is just a combination of how you manipulate those two stitches over certain amounts of stitches or a certain amount of repeats or even twist those stitches to make patterns. So I see. Now, isn't... Scandalo. I know. <laughs> now, isn't purl stitch the oldest stitch? That's a great question. I don't know oh, the history of the that stitches. That is actually what I had read. Wow. But, you know. <laughs> so that's interesting because for me, the first stitch I teach people is the knit stitch. Uh-huh. So to have it be pearl, that was the first one perhaps that was invented is pretty ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so I also imagine with the stitches, there's different numbers associated, right? Yes. And obviously, I don't knit. So how can that emotionally impact the fabric? So it can do two things. So if you have, let's say, like a lucky number, if your lucky number is three, perhaps you're going to make uh, this project in three colors and you're going to do three different stitch patterns and you're going to repeat it three times. So emotionally, that project will have that intent stuck into the piece because of your threes on threes on threes. Mm. However, physically, you can also change the fabric. So If you're doing nothing but, let's say, um, repeats of cables, that's going to change the fabric into being stiffer and less malleable. So physically, it will feel tighter and thicker. Mm, Okay. Now, what about the numerology piece of it, James? How do you think that affects the fabric? Yeah, that's exactly right. You want to, like, maybe you're going to cast on, you know, in multiples of three. So you're going to do a 33 Mm-hmm. Or uh, 99 or something like that if you're casting on, um, you know, in that way. Or if you're crocheting, you want to crochet and you're going to do a certain number across. And you're going to then reduce that number down to a numerological constant that you, you know, want to whatever the intent is for that. So you would look those things up. You can also say, okay, well, 
you know, and so, so this is where you can really start to think about, okay, what is the color magic that I want to use? Mm. Is the color associated with a chakra mm-hmm. um, that I want to infuse this with? Is the color connected to a, um, to healing or to abundance or to love? Um, and so these are a lot of the things that we've explored in our podcast where we've talked about the association with color, the association with numbers, the association with shape, mm-hmm. even the association with the type of, of textile that we're using. Mm-hmm. Are you using wool or rabbit or... Um, Cotton or linen. Yeah, right. that's right. Those are, those are plants. And, you know, there's lots of different things. Do you, how do you block the fabric after, which is the use of water mm-hmm. to set the fabric shape at the end? And you can infuse that with essential oils or even put crystals in that water to set it, put intentions into the water. Water will hold intentions really well. Right. And you can then put that intention into the piece. Fascinating. Now, is that something you were already doing, Katie? Or is that something you just started to bring in? That has been my biggest movement within the brand. So it's all magical making. So it's always about like, okay, so we're taking time to make this. But how are we making it magical? How are we just taking a minute to step back, breathe, and think, okay, well, I have to do this finishing process anyway, much like Jim said. You know, if I'm going to spray it, why just use water from the tap when I could use something with a bit of lavender because it's going for to a friend who needs comfort right now. Hmm, right. Now, what about colors for you? Are there any colors that stand out or have certain meanings? So... Interestingly enough, uh, one of the first projects that I designed when I started my new business was a blanket for my dog. And so it was pink for friendship and love. And it had the number six wrapped into it um, through stitch pattern repeats, which was also a very family and love oriented number for me. And so now every time she sees it and wraps up into it, it's emotionally uh, involved for both of us. Extra special. (laughs) Now, you had mentioned sacred geometry. How does that also show up then for you, Katie, with knitting? It's a beautiful thing to incorporate into knitting because it will physically change the shape of the fabric. So, for example, um, you could do a outside-in blanket. So you're starting, you're knitting a spiral, essentially. And if you're doing it around the number nine, which is all about the shape of a spiral and the completion process, Mm -hmm. this physical thing is now a manifestation of that. Even if you put nine colors in, it will be um, a great optical reminder of this completion process, especially as you're binding it off to literally finish it at the end. I love that. Now, what about knitting different things like socks versus a scarf? If you give someone socks versus a scarf, does that mean anything <laughs> other than they, they may need that? Well, yeah. And <laughs> think of it as like, is this person I'm making something for even someone who appreciates a hand-knit item? Mm-hmm. Not everyone does. And right. that's okay. Don't burden your loved ones with something they have to hand wash if they don't want to. <laughs> it's not worth it. Well, you know, if you give someone socks, it could be, do they, can they use grounding? Mm. Can it be something See, that can like that. be very useful for grounding? If mm-hmm. they need a scarf, is it to help accentuate their voice mm-hmm. and their throat chakra? Not or that you want to wring their neck? <laughs> well, Maybe. depends on the depends relative. On, <laughs> is that a scarf or is that something else? <laughs> if they need a hat, is it? Are you giving them an intention to connect more with their divine self and their mm. connection with with the divine? So you can think about like how these pieces maybe accentuate that what chakra, what energy center is in that part of the body. Or if, you know, 
so there's a lot of things to think about and then how you would then bring that magic into those pieces. And those are things that, and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Uh, Light for, Katie's company, Light from Lantern, did a traveler's talisman scarf that you can purchase the pattern for on her website. And that is a scarf, uh, a cowl, mm-hmm. I think, right? Yep. That you can that you can buy the pattern for and then knit yourself and choose the colors and everything else. And in that is you can determine what that does for you as you travel. Mm-hmm. So as you're traveling over the holidays, it can be an invisibility scarf. It can be a scarf for ease of travel, for road opening, for bear, bear, uh, removing barriers. It can do all kinds of things based on how you um, choose the colors and, and all those things. Yeah. And there's some instructions in there on hints on what that can do for you and why it's why it has certain holes in it and why it has certain solid things. So it's a great way I to, love that. you know, to take some of Katie's wisdom and her thoughtfulness and why it's designed magically right. and make it that way. Mm-hmm. Now, are these things that you had thought of prior to your podcast or this also was information that you were receiving through doing the podcast as well? It's evolved from the podcast, definitely. They were things I had notions of, but the fully formed idea hadn't really even started to become. Or that you were doing it and just didn't have a word for it. Totally. Yes, absolutely. It was in Katie the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Just trying to crawl its way out. out. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. So one I want to ask you about when you were weaving intention and prayer, and I think it's important to say prayer yes, too, right? Yes. Or a spell. For sure. Can you also then make a curse? Not that I want anyone to do that, but is that also what people do? Well, I suppose you could put an intention into something that is nefarious for sure. Yeah. But curses only work if the curses really have most of their impact on the person who is actually creating the curse. Mm. So I think that a lot of times the biggest impact on a spell is on the person who's making it. Mm -hmm. So that's why we really advise do work that is positive for everyone because that goes a lot further. If I'm making a, a, a stocking cap for you, Sakura, that is about your success and your connection with the divine, that will also connect me with the divine and connect mm. you with the divine. And that is very contagious and very prosperous. And, right. it, and it does connect you with the divine. If I make a stocking cap for you that blocks you and give it to you, it has a much more of an effect and an impact on me than it does on you. Because you have to believe that it's negative and that it works for it to actually have an impact on you. Mm-hmm. And then I have to reveal, that means I have to reveal what its purpose is to you <laughs> for it to work. Right. And you have to be susceptible to that curse. Hmm. So curses are very, very weak. And they're very easy to dispel with simply a wash or by simply not believing it. Okay. So curses only work on people who believe in them and who are um, vulnerable to them. So if anyone feels like, they're afraid of a curse or vulnerable to a curse, you can very easily rid yourself of that by making yourself invulnerable to a curse by knowing you are not vulnerable <laughs> to curses. <laughs> right. They're very, they very, together. they're like the positive aspects are way stronger than the negative aspects of those things. So it's like karma too that you're passing down or passing over right. essentially. Yes. It, yeah. It's very, very difficult to maintain a negative energy. Now, what about this boyfriend sweater? Ah, uh, yes. So 
I don't know if anybody out there is a knitter, but you may have heard about the curse of the boyfriend sweater. And <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yes. Essentially, this comes from the idea that um, if you are a person who knits, and apparently in this case it's a woman, uh, and you knit your significant other a sweater, by the time you finish it, it they probably will have broken up with you. Like, if you're going to make this person who you haven't committed to through marriage, who can't leave you, or whatever, <laughs> that... Making this sweater is probably going to break them up. There's even a book about it, The Curse of the Boyfriend Sweater and How to Overcome It. But I agree, Jim. Were they cursed or was it already going to fall apart? <laughs> what do what do I have? A boyfriend? And a- one of the most remarkable and amazing pieces of knitted. I have a mm. it took him two years That's to knit the most brilliant piece of it's not a sweater though. It is a boy cozy. It's a it's an amazing poncho. But it was two years. That doesn't apply. The curse doesn't apply to the poncho. That's right. <laughs> Good That's point. Right. Yeah, yeah, no go, sleeves go doesn't go count. On. Yeah. Yeah, it is an amazing piece and um we are still together. It's been seven years, so I love Good to that. know it's not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And with that, we're gonna take another quick break, but everyone stick around for more love from the hip. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Microneedling is a revolutionary treatment that can help reduce the appearance of acne scars, fine lines, pigmentation, wrinkles, even improve the appearance of stretch marks by stimulating collagen and elastin. Sakura Skin and Mind specializes in this procedure that jumpstarts your body's natural healing process. Sakura Skin and Mind believes in not only keeping the skin up to date with the latest trends in the skincare industry, but also keeping the skin beautiful, fast, pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com. 
Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I have James Devine and Katie Rempe here with us today. And do you guys actually want to do the craft right now? You're going to walk us through? Ooh, yes. Cornucopia craft? Yes. All right. I'll let you go ahead and take the floor. Uh, So one of the symbols around this time of year is definitely the cornucopia. Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about the symbology of the cornucopia? Yeah, the cornucopia um, has, uh, we think about it during uh, Thanksgiving. So obviously this is very North America um, and European, you know, uh, I'm sorry, well, American, you know, Mm -hmm. um, idea around Thanksgiving. And, but it actually comes from ancient Greece, where we see the cornucopia being a symbol of the horn of plenty. Mm. So it is a European, you know, Western symbol. Um, That's that horn looking. It's a horn, right. yes. Mm-hmm. And so you'll <laughs> yep. see images of, of ancient Greek goddesses like Demeter or others, yeah. Demeter and others, carrying this horn of plenty. And this goes back to sort of ancient, um, you know, iconography and these attributes that these deities might carry. And it carried over into American Thanksgiving, um, I think also Canadian Thanksgiving, others, as this idea of the Horn of Plenty and, and these images where the uh, um, harvest season, all the gifts of the harvest are rolling out of this, you know, wicker basket shaped like a horn. Mm-hmm. And so we had been thinking about this as um, an image for prosperity and abundance. Yes, and Jim pointed out uh, before that the horn shape even is like a greater than symbol. So mm. if you think of loading it with things that make you feel abundant and prosperous, that is the key. And interestingly enough, it, of course, is different for everybody. So right. if you think uh, about setting a place setting um, or a centerpiece at your table this year, consider just thinking for a moment, what are symbols that you feel abundant? What makes you feel luxurious, uh, that you have everything you need and more? Mm -hmm. For me, it's the color gold. It's the number three. It's, for some reason, specifically quarters um, and the smell of cinnamon. Mm. So for me, I might craft together, um, even if your cone is just paper that you roll up into a cone and tape, it can be so simple. This isn't to dissuade anyone from making it hard. Make it really simple so that this can be something that you can do even with your kids. Yeah. And so my Horn of Plenty would include, you know, maybe $30 worth of quarters and it's in a gold bag and it's all spilling out with some cinnamon around (laughs) it. Um, Because for me, growing up, quarters, if you had quarters, you could do your laundry. It was always hard to get it, you know, so... Those are video games. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yep, the claw game. Uh It was like financial freedom for a kid. So even today, if I had like thirty dollars worth of quarters, (laughs) I would feel abundant. So it's a a great exercise just to break and see what makes you feel like you have enough. Now, is there any place that you recommend other than the middle of the table where the cornucopia you'd put it? I think any place that you put it where you'll see it every day is Mm -hmm. key because the more you see it, the more you'll think about it. And the more that feeling of abundance and having um, and wealth will come to you. 
it's funny, Jim and I were just um, on Facebook that our friend had shared, Wendy Mata, a story about how she was just traveling abroad and had exchanged all her currency for rupees. Uh And it was like a million rupees. And even though it was only about $10, she felt like it was lux and she had tons of money. And so everyone just seemed to treat her that way. No, they did treat her that way. Yep. She got upgraded to first class. Wow. She got all of these like amazing like free things. She walked through the world as though she was a total baller. She <laughs> and she was treated this treated way. Treated that way. Yep. And then at some point she went to purchase something and the shopkeeper said, "Oh, these are rupees from the wrong country." Mm-hmm. And she realized, "Oh my god, I don't have any money." And at that moment, and from then on, she had poverty mentality. It shifted. And it yeah. shifted. And she got zero upgrades and nothing happened. And it was such an interesting key to abundance. Right. That if you feel like a millionaire, mm-hmm. you're treated that way. Absolutely. So one of the, some of the things you can also put in the craft. So we're inviting you to create, to craft with us. Create a cornucopia that is magical. By putting, you can put herbs in there that that lend to abundance, like rosemary mm. or other things in your cornucopia. And if you need to be on the down low because other people in your house aren't witches, you can tuck <laughs> them underneath so right. that other people don't see. And, you know, create a cornucopia that's magical. You can put a $5 bill underneath there. You can tuck little gold coins or whatever in your cornucopia to bring this energy of abundance and make your cornucopia, which is a normal decoration at Thanksgiving time or at the harvest season, and make it magical. And while you're making it, what should you be feeling or bringing in? Yes, all of the feelings that you want to come back to you. So think of it, a lot of uh, witchy people believe in like the uh, power of three. So, you know, if you're doing it one time, it will come back to you times three, especially if it's a powerful positive even a negative, but (laughs) we try to live in the positive. So, um, yeah, just having that mindset. What do you want? Crystallizing the vision as much as possible, using your imagination to really explore the recesses and even get in that flow state if you need to um, can really help bring out those feelings. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. So we talked a little bit about creativity and listing the unconscious mind. And I was curious for both of you with witchcrafting, knitting, which witchcrafting, (laughs) if there was any big aha moment that you had during it. It's for me, it is how cool that we can find the magic in the mundane. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I thought was mundane, too. I think I really love Katie for bringing me into I just looked at, you know, my partners as one was knitting and one was crocheting and never really thought oh, gosh, that's a magical act. Of course, when I thought about it or if I would have been challenged on it, I'm like, oh, well, of course. But we weren't really doing it magically right. or I wasn't really considering it. And, you know, that was something that I'm like, yes, How? Do, what does it mean to live a magical lifestyle? What does it mean to make your everyday activity, you know, a sacred or magical activity? And this has really helped me, I think, really continue to embrace embrace these things. I love that. Yeah, I'd have to agree, actually. It's just like you said, it's learning to see the mundane as just a great opportunity to do magic because a lot of times there are things that you're doing regularly anyway, like you're brushing your teeth, 
But, you know, while you're brushing your teeth, you could also say, for example, I'm going to an interview later today (laughs) and I want all of my words to come out well and I want Mm -hmm. to make sure I don't say anything wrong and get my message clear across, and then you spit and you rinse, and it's all good from there. I'm brushing my teeth so I don't swear on the radio. That's right. Clean up your act. Yes. <laughs> it's the whole power of intention. That's right. right. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Well, we're coming to the end of the show, but I was hoping you guys can share when or where we can find Knit a Spell. Yes. So it is streaming on every podcast app. It's also, we have full videos on our YouTube channel, which is the Light from Lantern YouTube channel. Uh, We also have a full website where you can get all of our past episodes. It's knitaspell.com. Follow us on Instagram at knitaspell or shoot us an email anytime at knitaspellpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we have a Patreon as well where you can get even more magical making tips, connect with Jim and I further, and all that good stuff. And individual websites. Yes. So besides knitaspell.com where you can go for our podcast, you can find me, James Devine. And on my palmistry website at thedivinehand.com. And you can find me and my knitting patterns over at lightfromlantern.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. It was lovely. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for yes. having us. And thank you to Eric, my rock star producer, you the listener, KKNW, Timber Country, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya. Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial designed for your rugged skin. A deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one-two-three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A. SkinAndMind.com Hypnotherapy helps you discover and explore deep, sustainable life changes. Let Sakura guide your communication with your unconscious mind. Rid yourself of negative behaviors, fears, pains, and emotions. Weight loss, smoking, childhood drama, chronic pain, and much more can be addressed. Begin healing now. Learn more. SakuraSkinAndMind.com S-A-K-U-R-A SkinAndMind.com Bring out the healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had.